Hello and welcome back to the Head Right Out podcast. My name is Zoe Langley Wathen and I am here to help encourage you to step out of your comfort zone, doing things that scare you, building your resilience in the outdoors. We have conversations with resilient women and particularly today, I am so excited to bring you an interview with Jo Mosley. Now, although I recorded this episode with Jo back in August, I'm only just publishing it now. Jo promotes positivity to a midlife audience. Her Instagram account is Healthy Happy 50, and obviously that speaks volumes. Jo says that joy is knowing there is a blue sky above the clouds. And for some women, I know that is really going to make sense to them. After losing her sense of self, Jo realised that she needed to do something to help herself, for herself, and to rediscover joy. Now, I was so moved by Jo's story, I cried when I watched her film Brave Enough. Her authenticity touched my very core. I loved her honesty about her experience with the menopause and how grief came to her in waves. And while it was tough at times, it's perhaps a reassurance to other women that there is hope. And if they're feeling similar things, it means you're actually not going crazy. So enjoy the episode. It's a real treat and a total honour for me to be able to call Jo a friend. Okay, well, welcome everybody. I am really excited because uh, we have a very special lady here today to speak to us. Uh, I have Jo Mosley. I chatted with Jo a couple of times and feel like I've built up such a relationship with her already, even though it's only over the telephone or over social media. But I am so excited to actually speak to her almost face to face. So this is not quite in person, but it's as close to in person as we've got yet. So Jo is a mum of two sons. Uh, They are aged 24 and 20 and they live on the edge of the Yorkshire Dales. Now, she describes herself as a beach cleaner, joy encourager and a midlife adventurer. In August 2019, Jo became the first woman to sup that stand-up paddleboard coast to coast, 162 miles along the Leeds-Liverpool Canal, picking up litter, fundraising and raising awareness of the problems of single-use plastic. Now, Jo loves writing and speaking about adventure and well-being. She also makes tiny films about the joy of the outdoors for our mental health. And that was particularly after losing her mum and experiencing a difficult menopause. Her films, Finding Joy and Found at Sea, have both won awards. Jo's recently launched a podcast called The Joy of Sup, the Paddleboarding Sunshine podcast. And if you'd like to listen to the podcast, there will be a link in the show notes. A documentary film about her coast-to-coast adventure has also just been released to great reception and four sellout online screenings, which I was at the second one, I believe. And it's called Brave Enough, A Journey Home to Joy. And there will be a link to the trailer also in the show notes. In addition, Jo has a newsletter called Postcards of Joy, Stories to Lift the Soul. And there will be a link to the postcards of joy also in the show notes. And, you know, this is amazing because all the way through this, I just sense and feel that there's this element of joy and positivity and thoughtfulness, care and kindness. 
about not just Joe Mosley, but about Joe's brand. And so, yes, Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. That's really kind. That's everything that, yeah, kindness, joy, encouragement. That's that's exactly what I try and promote, really. And to a midlife audience in particular, although I get a lot of younger women as well saying, oh, watching you and the people that you share means it encourages me to know that it doesn't all end at 30 or 40 or 50. Mm. And I think that's important as well, isn't it? Because there's our younger women are at some point going to become older women and they need to have that message that there isn't an end to their adventures. There isn't an end to the fun. There isn't an end. They've got lots to look forward to. And I think that's such a wonderful message that you impart to them. So you have got that great list of achievements that all wrapped up in the word joy. But where did it all start? Because I know there's quite a lot of experiences that you've been through that's got you to this point. Yeah. So I think the joy is really important to me because joy for me is knowing that there is blue skies above the clouds and it's that sort of sunshine whatever the weather is and it's finding that internal sunshine and it comes really from a very personal experience in that I lost that understanding that there was sunshine within that joy was there whatever I was particularly going through at the time and it wasn't like just a one moment it was over a few years I really lost my sense of self my sense of joy I lost what made me happy outside of my roles as a daughter mother sister friend those roles always bring me joy that's a given but I'd lost my sense of joy outside those roles and it all kind of came to a bit of a crashing when I just burst into tears in the biscuit aisle and just said to my boys I can't cope I just can't do this anymore and that wasn't the first time I burst into tears and also not the last but it was just that one moment where I just hit that rock bottom really and from then started to learn how to find my joy again. Wow so the meltdown in the biscuit aisle was that a whole culmination of things life kind of getting on top of you was there something that triggered it? I think that there was a lot of things one I was a middle-aged mum well I was 48 at the time um, single mum kind of juggling all the things doing what I could for my boys Both mum and dad were going through chemotherapy. So dad has had breast, bowel and skin cancer and mum was being treated for lymphoma. And then on top of that, but not realising that, I was also going through the perimenopause. So I wasn't sleeping. I had night sweats, heart palpitations, incredible anxiety, tinnitus, itchy legs, aching bones and joints, cold flushes. You know, the whole, I think there's 38 different symptoms and I could tick off almost all of them except hot flushes I don't get hot flushes Um, and so that was the background to these other things that were were pretty stressful at the time just that moment was just when it just all came to it it wasn't that it just came to a head it was that moment I guess because I had cried in other supermarkets and I had been upset but I think it was the moment which then turned me from thinking I've just got to keep going to I probably need to do something about this. (laughs) Mm. It was that recognition that there was a problem. And the first time I vaguely asked somebody for help or vaguely even mentioned to somebody that I wasn't really managing everything very well. So I think like many women of our generation, the sense that you just have to keep going 
was very, very, very much part of the way I looked at my life. And also as a single mum, I had that terrible belief that I had to do everything a thousand times better um, because I didn't want to be seen as as not coping. So it was one moment that just represented a lot of moments. Mm. So yeah, super mum comes into mind there, doesn't it? You, you just feel like you have to be super mum and, and you can't do it. And particularly, you know, you're going through all those things, but particularly then with your parents' care as well and the worry for mm. them. Yeah, it it's such a difficult time. So you mentioned to somebody that you needed help. I just said to a friend of mine, because mum and dad were obviously really busy with their own appointments, I didn't want to worry them. So I just said to a friend in that sort of joking way, haha, I was crying in the supermarket. And just as a way to sort of gently let somebody else into that circle of mm. trust, really. Um, and she said, how much exercise do you do? And, and I said, well, you know, I spent all my life at the rugby pitch, but I'm not playing rugby. And she said that she had an old indoor row machine. And did I want to borrow it because exercise might help me sleep? And I hadn't had a really good night's sleep for, you know, years. And it had nothing to do with the boys. You know, they were way past that stage. It was just worry and anxiety. And, and what I realise now, all the sort of hormonal changes that I was going through. And she lent me this indoor row machine and, and it really changed things. So, yes, it was just at that moment where you say, I don't think I'm handling this as well as I could be. And I, I need some help. So, mm. yeah. Oh, gosh. As well. <laughs> <laughs> and that exercise, gosh, it's exercise and focus, isn't it? So mm. you, you suddenly you have a new focus and something that takes you out of that place that has been, yeah. that's been causing your anxiety. So when you're on the rowing machine, did you immediately think, okay, I need to make this into a challenge for myself? Or were you just enveloped in that wonderful feeling of moving your body and being able to yeah. sleep? You know, where, where did it transition from being exercise that was helping your mental health into suddenly, okay, I need to make this a bigger thing that I'm then going to completely focus on and, and take it a step further? Where did that transition happen? Um, so at first it was just so I could sleep. And within a couple of weeks, I was sleeping. And so life just felt so much better. Mm. And so I, I felt so much, so much better. And then my mum, so that was sort of May 2013. And then my mum died on the 21st of December 2013. But what I realised was that as I, we were doing all the stuff around her funeral and all things like that, that I continued to row and it, it was never about getting fit or anything like that. My technique wasn't particularly good. I didn't do anything brilliantly, but it was just that rhythm of having a place to go, but also having a sense of, I, I sort of say, and we say this in the film, it's, it was like the grief that I'd had through my life. I think a lot of us, you know, you don't get to your midlife without things happening. No. And I had the grief of, grief of miscarriages of my divorce, which I never really talked about of just feeling like I'd failed everybody and these things then along with the grief of obviously mum had just settled in my bones you know it was like in my bone marrow so to speak and the movement helped me move that sounds a bit woo-woo but the movement helped me move that grief out of the core of my bones and somehow exhale it uh, oh you started me up um, oh. Sorry. <laughs> no, please don't apologize. It's it's really quite and that's what it that's what it did. It just and, and I've since read 
um, articles about it. Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love and Big Magic, she talked about dancing at her, I don't know if it was her wife's or her partner, I don't know if they were officially married, but when her partner died, when she died, they danced at her wake or in the days afterwards. And I just thought, yeah, that's what they were doing. They weren't, it wasn't dancing for joy. It was dancing and moving to get that grief out of their bodies or recognize that you acknowledge mm. there was grief and anxiety in their bodies and that's what the the rowing did for me and so after I had bereavement counseling uh, where the gentleman said to me how do you feel and I said to him I feel like I'm on a rickety old boat in the middle of a lake and my old life is the shoreline and I need to get back to that old life I want that stability I want to know what's what everything has been turned into a new world my mum who was so central to our lives is no longer here and I need to find a way to get back to some stability and he said to me what do you need to do and metaphorically obviously I said I need to sit down I need to stop waving from the from the boat and I need to row my way back to the shoreline and obviously I meant it metaphorically I needed to just find a way to get myself back to the shore and and and, uh, and establish a new life for for the boys and myself and my dad and my sister etc but then three or four weeks later, I decided that I was going to row a million metres and marathon for Macmillan, who had supported mum and dad and with, you know have continued to support that. And so it went from really just an idea into a thing in about three weeks with absolutely zero planning. <laughs> um, yeah, that's kind of the way I do things. Sometimes, um, sometimes it's the best way because then you've got yeah, less, like less, time, less time to <laughs> overthink it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just sort of decided it was what I wanted to do. So it was just a process. It, I never set out to get fit. I never set out to, I just was allowing my kind of my body and my soul to teach me what I needed to do next. And then I rode the million meters of marathon and, and I did the marathon and two half marathons. And I did the marathon on the first anniversary of her death and five days before my 50th birthday. Wow. And so that's, you know, what a way to mark your 50th birthday, but also to acknowledge your mum's death, acknowledge yeah. the grief. And again, it's an, another transition through into the, into the next stage. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. yeah, it is. It wow. Is. Well, it, actually, something you said there has just kind of, oh, I don't want to catapult into the film just yet, but there's, mm. I've got a, a sheet of paper here, which is all the notes that I wrote when I watched Brave Enough. Oh. And and I've highlighted a couple of things there that, that really kind of jumped out at me. Mm. And something that you've just said about why why you started rowing, it wasn't to get fit. It was because you just needed to be doing something, just needing to move. And, and I've highlighted something you said in the film, and it was about the need to move. And I've written, love the need to move, not to compete or to lose weight, but to bring joy. And and once again, there, you know, it's almost like your subconscious knew that mm. you you needed to move in order mm. to bring you, if not joy, at least peace yeah. in the first instance. But yeah. then in bringing peace, that then just seemed to unfold into yeah. happiness. <laughs> yeah, peace opened the door to the joy. I think you do need that sense of peace. That's a really good way of putting it. I do think you need that sense of peace and to allow yourself in the grief to feel joy again and to say that the grief won't, you you don't, I don't think you ever, it's not one or the other. It's not like you're grieving all this joy. 
both can exist every day, intertwined. It's like a dance between the two. And, and the way that you get through it is just to recognize recognize the joy. Like every time, like I've just been out on the sea. I can see the sea right now where I am. Oh. Just been out on the sea. And every time I go, wherever I am on a paddleboard, at some point, I recognize that joy. I say, I stop for seconds, minutes and say, this is joy. I'm banking that joy. Because grief is, as we all know, is, is going to come along at some point and anxiety and worry and having the two in your lives and knowing that there will be grief and not trying to deny that grief, but knowing that there's also joy. It's like they're just together and and allowing both to be together just means that you can kind of flow a little bit more in your life because you're not fighting the grief. You're just recognizing the grief and recognizing all those emotions. And yeah, the movement you know, sometimes I wish I really was competitive. I really do. You know, I wish that I was like, I need to do this faster. I need to do this or I need to compete. Because I think sometimes I would maybe push myself a bit harder or I don't know what. It is always coming down to that joy and, and my body saying, this is good. This is going to help you sleep tonight. And my whole life rests on my sleep. <laughs> Perhaps if you were competitive, though, it would dilute what yeah, you are in other ways you know so it, it might dilute that feeling of joy and that inspiration that you pass on I don't know is it you know we are the way we are for a reason aren't mm. we so yeah it's yeah. not necessary to fight that really so your boys where were they in all of this did they understand what you were going through did they understand your need to do the things you needed to do and how did they feel about mm. all of that a good question I think as I started to be more focused on particularly with the fundraising and the challenge, and they could see that it was giving me a real purpose. That was positive. And because I was just piecing together that I was going through the menopause, I couldn't give them any good reason why I would fly off the handles, no. you know, or burst into <laughs> tears. Or, you know, for so long, I was in the, quite a big, well, it was Tesco's. And I, I said to the journalist that for about two years, I thought that I was getting the flu you know, really regularly because I was getting cold flushes and headaches and I was going to bed early thinking, oh, I'm coming down with a flu. And then the next morning I'd be fine. And what I realized was I was just having cold flushes and it wasn't the flu. And so I wasn't able to say to the boys, look, I'm going through the menopause. These are the symptoms. This, you know, I'm really sorry when I kind of fly off the handle or burst into tears or, you know, forget the keys or forget to pick them up or I mean I know I forgot to pick them up but I might kind of screech in a bit late or whatever um and they were you know teenagers they weren't babies I guess I I wish I'd been able to give them a book and say this is what I'm going through but I didn't realize what I was going through until probably two three years later by which time I'd found ways to handle it and also nowadays there's so much talk about menopause but even eight or nine years ago it was really not talked about and I just didn't have the tools to do that and then as I felt happier and I started doing things I think they just chilled you know people say to me after I give quite a few talks particularly to the WI and people say to me at the end oh your boys must be really proud of you and to be honest they're just like yeah cool mum whatever <laughs> but you know they're not standing there going oh she's amazing and that's great you know they're doing their stuff and it's just like yeah, cool, mum, well done. 
okay, let's move on. <laughs> you know, yeah. And they're not teenagers anymore, are they? They're still, you know, they're no. in their early twenties, but yes, they still have a way of thinking like that. But I'll bet yeah. give them twenty years, or when they have their own children, perhaps if they have their own yeah. children, yeah. that's the point where they'll reflect back and think, "Gosh, did my mum actually do that? That's amazing." <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. We were at my son's, my eldest son's master's graduation, which has like been postponed like for two years. And I was taking the photos and his girlfriend was, uh, she was really sweet. She was like, you really know how to take photos because of your social media use. <laughs> and I was like, yes, <laughs> maybe something about what I do on Instagram is working here. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, and they had booked some accommodation. And I said, well, did you book accommodation for me? And he said, well, we figured that you just know how to do stuff like that. So you could do it on your own. I was like, okay. But it was just like, okay. Mum just sorts it all out herself. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're just chilled about it. And, okay. and I guess when I say I'm going to do something, they're like, yeah, that's great. Okay. <laughs> you know, whatever. Has, has it inspired them to do anything, do you think? Have they started doing or showing signs of doing anything themselves that you thought perhaps they might not have done otherwise? They, they both did youth whenever at school and, and they both went on expeditions and my eldest son and his girlfriend want to go traveling when they can. Obviously, COVID's slightly challenged that. My youngest son's got a bit of, yeah, actually, yeah, my youngest son's got a project that he wants to do. And he's got a long-term project. And I was like, yeah, no, that's really cool. Like, whereas my dad was a bit like, really? I was like, yeah. And I guess for me, it's very much helping them understand that at 20 and 24, they don't necessarily have to have it all figured out. Mm, yeah. And that they can keep learning and keep exploring. And particularly after covid it's a generation whose lives will continue to be really heavily impacted careers and stuff like that so yeah hopefully they've seen that you can just keep trying and yes. you'll get there in the end. yeah I think I think long gone are the days aren't they where for our age group when I was at school it was like you know you leave school you you find a job or career yeah. and then you're not considered I don't know reliable or experienced mm. unless you've had 20 years in the same job that thankfully is now not the case and that the more experience you have is more down to the more things yeah. that you've had to go at and can talk about yes yeah. and not stagnating in, in one place mm. okay well let's move on to your big one which was your mm. journey along the Leeds Liverpool Canal so where did the idea for that blossom how did that all come about so I had my first lesson in September 2016 and injured my knee had my first lesson in the lakes I knew the minute I stood up on a paddleboard that it was something special you know I just I didn't know how special it was going to be but I just knew immediately that it was and I decided about a couple of months afterwards that I was going to do the Leeds Liverpool Canal sort of almost halfway across the country like Liverpool to Leeds and again I'm not really sure why so that was back in 2016 it just sounded like a really cool thing to do but I made a mistake and that is I told a few people uh, Christmas parties and things and the response was that uh, they thought it sounded quite boring quite logistically difficult and also quite difficult for a woman of my age and I was only yeah only 51 at the time almost 52 and so I put the dream away and just allowed myself to keep building my I didn't put it away away I kind of like put it at the back of my head like an idea Hmm. and just carried on paddleboarding went back to like bodyboarding and swimming in the sea and hiking and all those things I'd really enjoyed as a child well I I'd started to do those actually after my rowing trip um, rowing challenge but you know I continued to use all these things to build my confidence and then in 2019 
I realized that my youngest son would be going off to university and I would be empty nest single mum. And I'd also, a number of my girlfriends, some obviously closer than others, had died in a very short space of time. And I just realized if you had, you know, the spark of a dream, you should try and give yourself the chance to achieve it. Whether you achieved it or not, that almost wasn't the point. It was at least giving yourself the chance to try. So like the triumph in the trying. Mm. And so I just decided, right, like, again, it was just like, right, I'm just going to do it. And I'm not going to go just from Liverpool to Leeds. I'm going to go from Liverpool to Leeds and then change onto the air and colder navigation and go to Google. So as coast to coast as you really can do. Wow. I'm, I'm pleased that you did ignore what they said. And it's, it's amazing how others' words can have such a profound impact on your belief in yourself. Mm. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I've been there. People <laughs> underestimate us hugely. Yes, yeah. And I think now as I've got older, I think I've learned that in those people saying those things to you, generally, it's them not having the belief in themselves, Mm. isn't it? They're saying, oh, gosh, that sounds boring because perhaps they're not interested in it or that you're probably too old to do that because they wouldn't think that they would be capable of doing it. I just think they tend to project their fears, their beliefs limiting beliefs onto us yeah and one of the great things as you get older is all those things you just realize that time is really short and you don't know what's around the corner and you know just give yourself a chance because what other people think really a isn't important and they only think about what you're doing for a fleeting moment Mm. you know and then they're on to something else so (laughs) you know what they think is is really not important so Okay, good. I love that what you said about the triumph in trying. So you did, the triumph is in trying, you did try and you did succeed. Take us through some of those highlights of your trip, how long it took you and some of the fears you faced, you know, what was going on there? So it took 11 days and I guess the biggest fear was that I was putting myself, because I shared it on, on my social media and I had fundraising goals that I wanted to achieve and awareness I wanted to achieve around plastic um, single-use plastic consumption that I guess the biggest fear is you know putting your head above the parapet and saying I'm going to do something and then not being able to do it and there was one night in particular day four I didn't sleep because I was up in the night thinking you know what have you done what if you can't do this told all these people that you can and and maybe you can't. And then I just remember about four o'clock in the morning, finally going to sleep and just saying to myself, however long it takes, as long as you're not injured, as long as you get to the other side. So I kind of gave myself a bit of compassion and grace then. And that just eased that worry. So the weather wasn't massively kind to us. The first two days it rained. We had some rain throughout. We had a couple of really beautiful days. People on the canal didn't always believe I could do it. I got a few comments like, you know, you could put an engine on that or... (gasps) Sometimes people would say, or men would say, how far have you come? And I would say, well, I've come from Liverpool. And at this point, it was day five, six. You know, I'd already done about 80 miles. And I so I said, oh, I've done about 80 miles and I'm on my way to the other coast. And he was like, yeah, in your dreams, like literally in your dreams. And I was like, well, I have. What um, somebody, I know somebody laughed at me saying, why didn't I go through the locks? And I was a bit like, why would I go through a lock? You know, on a paddleboard, I can just pull it out. So I had a bit of that. Mainly 98% of the time, people were really encouraging. And it was, you know, only two years ago, but nobody, not many people had seen 
paddle boards. So they were asking me what it was like. Most people were really encouraging, really kind. They would like give me their coppers from their pockets to help the fundraising. But there were times when people did doubt me. Most days were really, really different. So there was different scenery, there was different trees or in an urban area and then a rural area. And there were just a couple of afternoons, particularly one afternoon where it was a slog. And it was a bit like, just keep going, just keep going, just mm. keep going. And sometimes boredom is a factor, you know, yeah. uh, it's not all adrenaline and it's not all rah-rah. And then the end was pretty amazing. I was joined by an amazing filmmaker, Frit Tam of Passion Fruit Pictures, joined me. And Frit had arranged for these lovely people to be there at the end. And that was amazing. And I won't give the game away, but there was some serendipity at the end. So, yeah, it was all, it was like life. It was up and down, hard work, cruising, surprises, kindness, doubts, all of it. (laughs) All of the things. It was everything. Wow. And I know Frit. And he's been here and fabulous filmmaker and individual. And I'm sure you've both inspired one another there. And, you know, partway through the film, I think you were going through a tunnel and I think you were facing a huge (gasps) moment where you, I'm I'm assuming it was fear. (laughs) But can you tell us about that tunnel moment and how you got yourself through it? Yeah. So there were two tunnels. One was only 511 I always get muddled at meters or yards, but not very long. And then there was the, the other tunnel, which is the Fall Ridge Tunnel, which is about just under a mile long. And I was really scared. I'm not great in the dark. Nobody can join you in either tunnel. There's no towpath. And Fall Ridge, it's got like these three shafts of light that you just kind of have to focus on. And it's on a traffic light system. So you know that no other boats are going to come towards you, but you have... I think half an hour to get through. And I didn't, because I don't time my paddleboarding, I don't know how fast I am. I was like, I hope I can do it. And so it was really scary, but I think something, it's really interesting that you bring that up, but I think something happened in that tunnel that just made me think I'm a bit braver than I thought. And I came Mm. out and I felt quite triumphant. And you know, when you're excited and you're babbling away and somebody's babbling away with some some people and this, this person said, all you did was you know, paddle through a tunnel. And this person hadn't paddled through a tunnel, uh, let me say. And I just turned around and I said, don't don't rain on my parade, you know. And I've never in my life said that. And I've never said it before or since. But I had done something that I felt was really scary. And I'd just overcome that fear and I'd gone ahead and done it. And I'd also was a bit worried that there was going to be some swans at the other side that they're very, very territorial. And so I had that extra little worry. Mm. Because, you know, when we're in swan territory, it's their territory. You yeah. need to keep out and respect that territory. And and I just sort of said, don't rain on my parade. That this, you know, let me let me be excited that I did this. And so, yeah, that really, really made a difference, that tunnel. From then on, I just thought, this, this is going to happen. We're going to do this. By hook or by crook, we're going to get to the other side. And you did. And you did. You know, has doing this challenge, how has it changed the way you now approach things? Because it sounds to me very much like, you know, you've come from this place of almost darkness, you know, anxiety and worry and just kind of worrying about other people and and not yourself. You've come through all of that to, to these challenges and you've discovered a new you. So how has this changed your approach to the things you do? I think it's given me a freedom to say I'm going to try and a freedom to give myself some grace and compassion that I'm going to do my very best. 
I think it's made me worry less about what other people think. As long as I'm doing my best, that almost is really good enough. And it's allowed me to feel that I'm more creative. So we did the film. Obviously, that was a, a collaboration. I launched the podcast. I say yes to things. I'm, well, I made my own other little film, Found at Sea. Yeah, I, I think it just has made me feel braver to give things a go and just do my best. And then there's also those funny little things like, you know, sometimes when you're in the thick of a project, the excitement of the project is at one end, but you can't see the excitement of finishing the project. You're in the thick of it. Mm. You know, the bit that sort of Brenny Brown calls the, the, bit, the messy bit in the middle. And there's no rah-rah and there's no triumph and there's nobody saying, yeah, you're in the middle. It's That happens at the beginning when people send you off on a project. Yes. And that happens at the end when they welcome you home. The bit in the middle is it's a cliche, but that's where the magic happens. That's the bit where you have to test your resolve and your self-discipline and your motivation just to keep on going and there were days when it felt like that as I said there were afternoons where it just was like paddle after paddle you know I'm just Mm. making there was a lot of weed and I was like just making very slow time but you know just literally and I think I bring that to my project say like doing the podcast where there's so much as you know that you're learning and piecing it together and it's really hard and you don't know what you're doing or writing the book or whatever and I just say to myself you're just in the middle of that there's nothing unusual about this you're in the middle of an expedition here and the bit will happen at the end but right now it's just stroke by stroke edit by edit write by write you know sentence by sentence that's all you have to do Hmm. is put in the work (laughs) and you've got to stop questioning the work and just do the work (laughs) yes you know (laughs) You can't get in the flow and and you've just got to do the work. And I think that it just, I knew that. I knew that already. Obviously, I told my children that, you know, growing up. But sometimes an expedition, it's a potted life, isn't it? It's lots of life in a short period of time and there's lessons that you can learn. And so sometimes I'll just go back to that. You're just in the middle and you just keep having to do the work, just Mm. chip away at the work. Yeah. And then you look back and... And I felt that very much with the podcast, you know, launching the podcast. It was very much like, oh, gosh, everybody else was doing their Christmas stuff and kind of looking forward to that. And I was just there editing. Yeah. Slogging away. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, I'm just doing the work. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's actually yeah. That's yeah. A really a positive message. Saw, yeah, I hope so. I saw a really good thing on Instagram yesterday about and it was like a mountain or an iceberg. And it was like a line across the sort of summit and it's like the work you see and then the work you don't see. Yeah. And most people, all we see are people's achievements yeah. is the work. that I, I launched a podcast. I wrote a book. I made a film. I was the first person to walk this trail or, you know, I've given a talk here. But nobody sees the hours that go into creating that, like you're mm-hmm. doing with your podcast, hours yeah. and hours and hours. Yeah, huge. It is a mountain. I think that's why you have an affinity with people that are doing creative things because you know what they're going through. You know that what they show, whether it's a picture or whatever, it didn't just happen overnight. And yeah, and I think the expedition sort of expedition challenge sort of helped me with that. Yeah. Wow. And so tell me about your book, Joe, because that's yeah. another challenge, <laughs> another episode. Yeah, that's a real challenge. And, and that's and it, a pressure it, challenge. Yeah. I mean, it feels like it was a natural progression, but have you had to battle with it at all? What's it, you know, what's it going to? Yeah, I have. I have. So it's got a deadline quite soon. 
and it's about beautiful places to paddleboard in the UK. And the biggest thing I think coming out of COVID, I got second and third uh, lockdowns. I was on my own. First lockdown, my son was at home. Second and third, I was on my own. My dad was my bubble, but he lived a long way away. So we kind of didn't really pursue the bubbleness. The third lockdown, I was busy launching the film with Frit and we were just like crazy busy. Mm. And then I realized, you know, when can I get out and start going to these places? I didn't want to go in lockdown. People were saying, well, it's work. It was, but it didn't feel right. And then I think what happened was I lost some of my confidence meeting people. You know, mm. Zoom was great. I was giving my WI talks. I was doing corporate talks. But actually face-to-face meeting people, I think I had lost some of my confidence. Mm. So that took a little bit of time. So I kind of didn't get out on the starting block, out of the starting blocks as quick as I would like mm. to. And a lot of it is choosing places from research and then hoping that when you get there, they're as beautiful <laughs> as, as you hope they'll be and as interesting as you hope they'll be. And everyone has been. So that's good that I can trust my judgment. And worrying about the weather and worrying about people getting COVID and and people you're going to meet then having to go into self-isolation and mm. everywhere. But, you know, and the, the weather hasn't been amazing. And, you know, sometimes you're just hoping that you're in the right place at the right time weather-wise and accommodation. So there's an extra layer, but it comes back down to the joy that when you're out paddleboarding and you see seals or dolphins or this extraordinarily beautiful place, that you want to then get home and write about that place mm-hmm. and share that place with somebody else who then might choose to go there. That is just a huge honour. You know, that bit is like, wow. And that all the doubts come in and all the worries, but that bit is being able to say to people, this place is extraordinary mm-hmm. and you may not have this one because I'm trying to have places that aren't on everybody's radar, you know, honey pots and all that sort of thing. And just sort of spreading paddleboarders around, but partly just to then say, gosh, I didn't realise something like that. I didn't realise a canal in the middle of London could be beautiful. I didn't realise that there was this beautiful sculpture in Wells that I could paddle around. Or I didn't know I could go to a lighthouse in the northeast. You know, those are just extraordinary things. And being able to share that with people is just such an honour. So, yeah. And there's all the worries about whether I'm doing it right. <laughs> oh, and when is that due to be published? So it'd be spring next year. So I've got a few more weeks to get it in. So it's like pedal, metal, all that stuff. Foot to yes. pedal, pedal. Yeah. But I spend way too much time on, on weather apps, you know, 14 day forecasts ahead of me. And because I'm booked in and I've booked places and I'm meeting people and I don't have that. I, I can't say, oh, I'll come next month because, you know, I've got to do it when I've got to do it. Yes, yeah. um, so I'm kind of looking at weather forecasts and checking them all the time and thinking, oh, it looks like it's getting a little better in two weeks' time in that place where I'm going to be. So, yeah, it'll be nice for a little bit once it's submitted not to have to check the weather forecast every day and 200 miles away. It's lovely. So what an amazing project that sounds like, to be able to go off around the country and, and explore these new areas and yeah, I mean, our canal, I know I'm biased, but the canal that we're living on is is absolutely stunning. I don't know if you've ever been on the Morning Break, but it's, no. it just it just contours around the side of the hills. It's high up. It's not low down. It's high up. And so wow. so you're above everything all the time. And, and just the Brecon beacons poke their way through the trees every so often. And yeah, it just mm. is 
quite stunning that's all yeah. we can say yes and if you're planning to come up you must come up and say hello <laughs> come up yeah. come down you're yeah, i mean I could definitely be a book on wales and a book on Scot- you know there's so many beautiful places yes. this is just a taster and hopefully a taster that people will think oh i'll think a little differently about because i've written about the leeds liverpool canal i hope people might think oh where are the canals near me mm. so two minutes from my doctor's surgery where i go but it paddleboard and it was only you know in the last three or four years I realized the beauty hopefully other people will then think oh where's our local canal or where's our local lake that maybe they're thinking I've got to go to Devon or I've got to go to the beach actually there's places on their doorstep that they could could paddle so that sounds a lovely place and I'll put that on my list for the future (laughs) oh we're coming towards the end of time now Joe. but uh, a couple more things that I wanted to ask you particularly this is something that I ask everybody do you have a head right out moment that you could describe for us so it's, it's a moment where you you know deep down that you have headed well out of your comfort zone it was something that you never believed that you could possibly achieve I mean it might be your paddle across mm. coast to coast but you know it could be something else it could be something smaller but is there something that you could perhaps talk about it, it, that's interesting and I think and I, and I haven't really talked about this before but I think it was the day after I hadn't slept the night before if mm. you see what I mean and I got up and I literally was on two to three hours sleep and Brit was going back to London uh, to work so I was then going to be on my own paddling all day I had a friend Sharon who was coming who's part of the wonderful wild women community up in the lakes and Sharon was going to meet me but apart from that I was going to be paddling all day no filming and then a friend of my son's was going to collect me and so it was going to be and could be quite a low day other than Sharon joining me and I think the head right out, right out moment was thinking I'm really tired and I'm really doubtful but I've given myself that grace that as long as I just keep paddling I will get to the end and somehow there was a level that I'd stepped up in my soul about the trip that I just needed to keep paddling and I needed to keep believing but I also needed to be compassionate to myself that if it took 12 days or 13 days or 14 days I would just ask work for more time off work (laughs) and you know I just would ring them and say I'm really sorry I'm really slow but can I have a bit more annual leave Uh, and they would have been fine with that yeah and doing that would have given me close to the next weekend and so I think that was probably a head right out moment knowing that I didn't think I could do it but I still was going to do it anyway and I was going to try anyway and give myself all the grace that I could to just keep trying and allow the doubts to come with me but not allow the doubts to overcome me Mm. and I've never told anyone else that (laughs) wow thank you thank you for sharing that and that leads me then to ask if you were going to give other midlife women Mm. any tips any advice about how they could not necessarily go and stand you know do stand-up paddleboarding although that obviously is a great thing to be doing but how would you suggest they should start and approach doing something that they feel scared about they feel anxious about what advice would you offer them I think it comes back to the triumph is in the trying allowing yourself to be a beginner and allowing yourself to say I don't know how to do this but I'm willing to learn and be open to it. I think, yeah, allowing yourself to be a beginner, allowing yourself to be vulnerable enough to fail because anything you is going to allow you is going to require that you fail at some point in some tiny way. But know that by actually, say, your paddleboarding, falling and standing up again is part of it. 
I would say only do it if it really brings you joy. And if it doesn't, try something else. You know, try, you don't, life is too short to keep doing stuff just because everybody else loves it. Just allow yourself to try things and, and then pursue the things that bring you joy. And also surround yourself with people either online or in a community or in your podcasts, you know, because I think podcasts are like having friends really in your ears who believe in you who and inspire you to keep, mm. you know, keep, keep bringing that. You know, I was driving back from Colour Coats on Tuesday and I was listening to a really old Oprah Winfrey podcast and 1030 at night, it really struck home to me, just something she said. And I think if you just keep bringing those good podcasts and good knowledge into your brain, it seeps through and it helps remove all the negative and the cynicism that is understandably in the world at the moment. Interesting you should say that, actually, because I found that when I was going through some of the most tricky times in my life in the last five years, I would say, and that was listening to podcasts. They got me through some really difficult times. And now I treat them in the same way that I would treat YouTube, for example. If I'm wanting to learn about something, I will find a podcast on it and I will keep that in my ears for a week or two. You know, if I'm writing a book, it's it's all about writing. If I'm starting a podcast, it's all about podcasts and so on. So if naturally, if you're going off on an adventure, then yeah, I think listening to inspiring stories uh, from people has to go a long way to feeding that need and giving us some some good advice. Well, talking of good advice, you have given us absolutely masses, Joe, and it's been wonderful. I just feel you've been so honest, so, so honest with us and so genuinely authentic and showing us the, the vulnerability that you have gone through. And I just, I really, really appreciate that. And I know others will too. I know the listeners will certainly appreciate your story and how you've told it to us. And I just, I wish you so much luck with your birth and and all of those future things that you're going to head off and do. Can I just, in fact, can I just ask what is next? Apart from the the book, which is obviously a really big thing for you, (laughs) is there anything that's coming in 2022? I think I would like to do more coastal paddleboarding. But I would like to do something where I include other people and, you know, have them come along. So there's a lot of safety stuff I need to understand a lot about the coast that and tides and stuff like that, that I'll need to really understand and maybe put a team together. But, yeah, some more coastal paddleboarding and always, always relating it to, you know, plastic consumption, litter picking. So, yeah, not run, but not around the country. I'm not paddleboarding around the country. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm not going to go around the whole country, but no. the Yorkshire coastline, which is you know, special to me. So, yeah, just in case people think I'm going to go around the country, I'm not. I don't have that as a goal. But just including other people, including other people. I've always done a lot of stuff on my own, and I've realised that other people do want to be part of something. And if we can make that happen and I can then celebrate what they're doing, less about me and more about them, that's what I would like to do. And so the motto of your podcast that I think that leads beautifully into what oh. you live by. What could you tell us what yeah. that is? So the motto is we rise by lifting others. And it was something that I was playing with as an idea as I was launching the podcast. And one of my very first interviewers, she said it and I was like, that's it. She's already said it. You know, that means it's a sign that that's what it should be. So yeah, we rise by lifting others is the motto of the podcast. And that's what I 
aim to do. And that's what I try and do with mine. And, and you clearly are doing with yours. So thank you for inviting me. It has been a huge honour. Thank Very- you. Wow. No, I've, it's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure talking to you. So, Joe, thank you. Can you please just tell us where people can find you on social media and where they can go and listen to The Joy of Stuff? Yeah. So um, The Joy of Sup podcast is on Instagram. So it's The Joy of Sup podcast underscore. And also, if you just look on Apple and Spotify and Stitcher, it's there. And there's links from my Instagram. And I'm also Healthy Happy 50, 5-0, Healthy Happy 5-0 um, on Instagram and Twitter. And my website is joemosley.com. And there's links there to everything as well. Brilliant. So thank you. And you can sign up there for postcards of joy and find out about where you yes. can watch the films so. yeah everybody you thank must you. do that i get the postcards of joy through and it's not one of those emails that come through and you think oh gosh not another one i gotta read it really is filled with inspiring moments yeah. <laughs> short little ditties that are just thank going you. to lift you and yeah it's fabulous yeah. joe mosley thank, thank you. you so much wonderful hour talking to you and i hope we get to meet sometime in person that will be a de- mm. definitely a day of joy for me i'm sure we will <laughs> Thank you. Take care. Well, I feel like I spend my life saying wow to my guests and wow after I've spoken to my guests. But then that is what this is like. Jo's words just were so powerful. She had so much advice to give and I hope you're going to take something away from that because I've got loads of nuggets there, lots of useful pieces of information and useful advice for for dealing with different stages in my life and I hope, yeah, I hope you have too. Things like her talking about from the grief of miscarriages, divorce and menopause to the joy of rowing and supping and about how sensitively she dealt with her grief through movement and through counselling and not fighting the grief but just recognising the grief. These are all things that, yes, we can definitely relate to but we don't always put these things into practice. And I'm just thinking back to times in my life now where, gosh, I could have done with hearing those words. I know that personally, when I went through a period of loss after a long-term relationship had ended, I turned to running and I had never run before, at least not through choice. And I found that movement helped me to heal and allowed myself to feel and to process and to return to that joy again, that joy that Joe talks about. I'm sure it's the movement that helps release those endorphins and I'm pretty certain there is research and scientific evidence that backs that up. And I love Joe's saying, the triumph is in the trying. It's not about the outcome. It's not about succeeding in a challenge or succeeding in an activity. It's not about getting something right, whatever that right might be. And I've been telling students this for years as a teacher But the triumph is actually in the trying where you are just having a go. You are giving yourself that permission to have a go. And how the bit in the middle is where the magic happens. And it's so worth remembering that if you have an adventure or a project or you're studying, putting in the work and slogging through it over and over and over when you feel like you just can't go any further. Remember, the bit in the middle is where the magic happens. Hmm. Wow. There she goes again. Wow. (laughs) Now, I'm going to move on 
So we've got the She Extreme Film Festival coming up on the 23rd of October. It's in Bristol. It's at the Arnold Feeney and it is a free event. And there's going to be some amazing films from female filmmakers there. I can't wait. I'm actually attending this. Uh, I can't wait to go and see the films. I can't wait to get the opportunity to go and meet with other women, other like-minded women that I can talk, adventure and challenges and podcast and all sorts of other wonderful things about with them. And I'm also excited because Joe is going to be there. So I am actually going to get the opportunity finally to meet Joe face to face. So I feel like I know her really, really well. But if she's giving hugs, I am going to give her the biggest hug ever. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's going to be really, really lovely to meet with Joe. I need to apologise for the feedback issues and the Wi-Fi noise again. This was recorded back in August, back on the boat, and the Wi-Fi clearly was in and out. And it took me masses and masses of editing time to get it to the point where it was as listenable as it is now. So I know it wasn't perfect. And I don't expect it to be completely perfect, but there was a lot of feedback today, which I hadn't expected. So yes, stick with me. And yes, hopefully this is something that I can work on and develop and find out how I can sort this issue. And if it means changing my service provider to get a different provider for my mobile Wi-Fi router, then that's what I'll do. <laughs> Okay, so this is the section where we talk about head right out moments. Joe's tunnel experience was an amazing head right out moment. In addition to her experience after two to three hours sleep and believing that somehow, somehow she could keep paddling regardless of whatever her thoughts were. I think she said she was going to allow the doubts to come with her, but what was it not allow the doubts to overcome her? And again, more wise words. But now today I am going to share a head right out moment of my own with you. So it was up in North Wales back in the summer in August. Mike and I went up to visit our friends Steve and Liz and Liz is a marine biologist. She's got a lot of friends who are in the business and know the waters around where they live very very well and she had a tip off whilst we were up there to say that the bioluminescence was back at Penmon Point in Anglesey and would they like to go and there was going to be a group, big group of people there on the beach they were going to have a barbecue and a wonderful gathering and wait for it to get dark and then we could go out and we could paddleboard and swim and see the bioluminescence. Now for those of you who have never heard of this before my very basic knowledge of it is that it's plankton that stores energy in the form of light and it gives off the light at night when it gets dark. So it stores the light through the day and then it gives it off again at night and it glows and it glows this beautiful blue green and naturally I, I wanted to see this phenomenon for myself. So Mike and I went along too and I took my cosy and a towel and we took some food and chairs and yes we, we set up a little camp, a little mini camp on, on the pebbles at Penmon Point. Now this is going to sound very odd but I have never swum in the sea. I have paddled, I have 
fallen in when I've been paddle boarding in Pool Harbour. <laughs> and, and it's very, very shallow in the stretches of Pool Harbour I'm thinking of. But I've never actually gone for a proper swim in the sea. Certainly not at night either. Uh, I'm not a strong swimmer, but I can manage swimming. And so the sun set and it was beautiful as the sun set over Penmon Point and it glowed across the lighthouse. And then it reached a point by about 11 o'clock or half 11 and we could see the sea starting to glow and people were throwing pebbles into the water to watch the splashes come up in that green blue glow that is characteristic of the bioluminescence. And then Liz invited me to go out on her paddleboard with her. Now, having only been on a paddleboard three times at that point, I wasn't confident enough to go out on the water on my own, and definitely not in the dark. But I knelt on the front of her paddleboard and she took me around the bay and it was the most incredible experience. As the paddle lifted up out of the water, I watched what I can only describe as it was like fireworks of water that would shoot across in front of me and they would land on the board by my knees and these droplets, these greeny blue droplets would just bounce and roll around and then spread and then dissipate. And it really is, I almost can't find the words to describe it. And I haven't written any of this down. This is just all from my memory and from my experience. I have no photographs of this because I was too frightened to take my camera out onto the water in case I fell in. But it was just so beautiful and so serene and nothing like I've ever experienced out on the water before. So then I climbed off, thanked Liz and went back to the area where we had a, a fire lit uh, just to warm up again. And I kept saying to Mike, I'd love to go out for a swim, but Mike doesn't swim, so he couldn't come out with me. And there were lots of people that were going out, but they were going out with other people. And I just I kept looking and thinking, I just need to get out there. But I knew it wasn't right to go out on my own. And then this lovely woman came up to me with a big smile and she said, do you want to go out for a swim? And I said, yes, I do. I said, do you? She went, yes. She said, but I'm too nervous to go on my own. And I said, me too. She said, well, come on, let, let's go out together. And so we did. And as I got into the water and I took the first strokes, the temperature of the water took my breath away. It wasn't freezing, but just because I'm not used to being in seawater, I guess. But it took my breath away in the first few moments. And then I took my first strokes. And with every stroke that I made, I did my best to keep my eyes open so that I could see these blue-green splashes firing around in front of me. And if I didn't know better, if I didn't know it was bioluminescence, I would say that I was going to get out of the water and I would be covered in blue-green paint because that's what it felt like. You're, you're swimming in the water. It feels like you're being covered in the colour. It's just so serene and such a beautiful experience. So thank you, Liz, for taking me out on the paddleboard. Thank you, Steve. And thank you to Vary, who is now, I believe, up in Scotland, maybe Glasgow, and as she was moving back there the following week from North Wales. So this has been a long reflection today, but thank you so much for listening in. Thank you for staying with me. Next week, we've got Steffi Boone coming on. She's going to be talking to me about her deep love of hiking and managing dark periods in her life and the early onset of menopause when her son was just 
five years old. Don't forget to hit follow and share the podcast with one of your friends. Let them know how much you get from it. And let's just share, share, share and get the Head Right Out podcast growing. Head Right Out hugs to you all. Take care and do something that scares you every day. Mwah.